There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the do I. are tuned into the Power Chord Hour right here on 107.9 WRFA or maybe listening on the Power Chord Hour podcast. However you are listening, thanks for tuning into this one. I'm your host, Anthony Merchant. I'm very excited today. We're talking to Mr. Black Dahlia of the Dwarves. And not only that, I mean, he is staying extremely busy, has a new record out under the name Ralph Champagne. It is titled Introducing Ralph Champagne. Uh, he also just wrote a new book, Highland Falls, have an audio book coming out. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. The uh, the man is staying busy with uh, some quality stuff out here. So let's talk Ralph Champagne, dwarves, writing, and all that stuff with Blag. Blag, how are you? I feel strong. I feel great. <laughs> I'm. I'm. Ex- I got all kinds of stuff out. You do. I mean, you you truly are staying busy. It's in. It's insane the amount you have going on right now. So I mean, I wanna I wanna start. I've had a really good time listening to the Ralph Champagne album. It's been quite a fun listen. And uh, I mean, I want to I want to go back a little bit. Like, how far back did you start working on like the ideas and concept for Ralph Champagne? I mean, is this something way back, way way back? Um, you know, I, I I've made some. Uh, most of the records I made are like the Dwarves, you know. So it, it, it sort of alternates between sort of hardcore punk and like pop punk and and sort of the harder genres like that. Um, but every once in a while, I'll make a solo record like. Uh, I made a bluegrass record back in the nineties called early grace. And I made kind of a pop, a uh, little poppy retro record uh, about 13, 14 years ago called candy. Now, you know, so I've done these little uh, side projects, but this one was really uh, a whole different element. This was like, yeah. And by the time it was over, I realized it had to have a whole new character and a whole new thing. And, and so uh, it's been kind of a wild ride, you know, it was kind of, it was my pandemic record and it was just different than anything I've done. You know, we started with the vocals and then kind of made the record inside out from there. So it was very, very strange. I I was kind of thinking about this too. I mean, and, and for people who are maybe familiar with the doors, but haven't heard the new record, I mean, it is definitely, it is definitely different from the doors and like, I was just thinking about it, you know, I mean, even even though you guys change up your sound and I mean, the doors have, I feel like different sounds and eras and things like that coming into this, like, you know, how how much how much of that Ralph Champagne sound and stuff was already in your head? You know what I mean? Because like this is. Oh, yeah. This is more what I would listen to. You know, I was always one of those people who made much more aggressive music than I actually listened to. I kind of like retro stuff and old jazz records and old country records and and that kind of thing, you know, but but I never wanted to sort of try and imitate that, you know, like hardcore came along when I was a kid and it was sort of the music of the moment and kind of I pushed forward on on that. But I always listen to a lot of just all kinds of American retro music, you know what I mean? Going back 
really long way to the, you know, the 20s and even the teens and, you know, just just sort of the American songbook and and that kind of thing. And and uh, yeah, it was kind of hard to tell that that was there with dwarves music because <laughs> it was sort of more kind of obviously dirty and scatological and nasty and a lot of nudity and a lot of really fast tempos. And and so people didn't really catch that there were a lot of kind of retro Americana ideas in there musically. Um, some people picked up on that. A lot of people didn't, you know. So, yeah, this for me, this is kind of the logical extension of just uh, uh, what I listened to, you know. Was there I mean, it, it, it does sound that way then. I mean, even even before hitting record on these songs, it sounds like you already kind of knew what this is going to sound like, what this should be like. I mean, it, it sounds it sounds like that was all pretty well-conceived or whatever you know yes and no i mean that's i i thank you for saying that but really what i had was the songs the vocal melodies and the chords and then i sang them and it was during the pandemic so you know originally you're, you're always saying like well let's get a good group together we'll play these songs and then i'll sing them but instead you know i just kind of sang them over my own terrible guitar playing and then you know, I threw away the guitar and said, okay, let's just start a record from this vocal. Because I knew the vocals were there. We'd really put a lot of work into them. Me and Andy Carpenter is the guy that I, I made this record with. And he was really there from the beginning, helping me shape the songs. But it was, yeah, that was sort of what I had was just lyrics and, and chords. And then, you know, um, we just started adding people to it. And more and more, I started to realize like, Ooh, wow! The way they played that—that's kind of a of a uh, you know a yacht rock song, you know. Or oh, wow! The way you play that—it's really kind of you know trucker country. Or the way you play that is kind of you know Tex-Mex or whatever. You know, these different genres would come out just based on how these guys played. You know, the song was already there in terms of the the lyrics and the vocal melody, but everything else was really the musicians had a lot to do with it. Tom Ayers, who played played bass and guitar all over this record and, and Josh Freeze who played the drums. Andy Carpenter played a lot a lot of guitar, keyboards, arranged a lot of things. And so they kind of set the template for what it was really going to sound like. I mean, I wish I could say that I had conceived of all that, but I, I sort of was smart enough to know that they were doing something good, you know, and so I just kind of stuck with it. But but it I it wasn't like I I knew what this thing was going to sound like. You know, kind of, kind of going off that too, and I mean, giving, giving the other musicians kind of free reign in that way. I mean, were you, were you then kind of vague with them on what you wanted? Was it kind of like, hey, I don't give a shit what you guys do. You do your thing and put it on here. I mean, did you give them much direction of like, this is kind of how I want it to sound? I mean, how? Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, it, you know, it's a combination of things. I mean, I guess the way it works is. I kind of consider making a record the way people make movies, you know, your, your big job is to get the right people. And once you get people that you know are good, that you trust, then you can kind of let them do what they want. And it's not so much that you're saying, I don't give a shit. It's that you're saying, I respect you. Do what you feel here. You know, cause if I came in and said, play exactly these notes then it's it more and more it's circumscribed what they can come up with you know whereas if i say you know i kind of want this to kind of sound like you know jimmy buffett meets bill monroe you know it's kind of like okay what the fuck and then they do something <laughs> you know or i would you know there were different songs you know like for for elementary love song i mean i had a 
had a great fiddle player, Jesse Olama, to come in and play a bunch of the country songs where I knew I wanted fiddle. And then just hearing him play, I thought, well, this guy's really good. So I'm going to set him loose on some of these other songs where I don't know what I want. And so I would say things like, can you make this like a bad Italian restaurant? You know, <laughs> and that's how Lolita Goodbye came about. Or or, or with the elementary love song, I said, can you make this like, you know, Captain and Tennille kind of cheesy 70s disco violin, <laughs> you know, which is much different than like a country part or something. So if you have people that are good, then then you can kind of tell them things that are abstract and then they'll come up with something really good, you know, but it, that's sort of another level of the game. You, you got to kind of know what you're doing to get to that point. I was going to say, I mean, that is also a testament to, I mean, I, I guess you already kind of, you know, working with them in the past and stuff and also them just as musicians where you can do that and you can get something amazing out of it. Because even the descriptions you're talking about, like listening to the record, I feel like they conveyed it quite well. I feel like I feel like those ideas and stuff came out in record, like the the way you're explaining it, like that. Yeah, I mean, d- different people produce differently. I, I I produce, I think, more in that kind of Rick Rubin, like I like cool records way, where it's like you know, I don't think me and Rick Rubin could tell you what note you're supposed to play. You know, we don't know. You know, but we can go hmm, can you kind of, and then you, if you're good, can come up with something that, and we'll go, that's it, you know? So, I mean, I'm, I don't mean to put myself up with Rick Rubin, but I mean, there's different ways that people produce. Some people produce from a very, like, I'm a musician point of view, and they say, these are the notes I want you playing. This is what I want to convey, you know, and God bless them. I, I just don't work that way. I don't really know how, you know? On, on that side, I mean, like the, the production side, I mean, I know, I know you have done some, have you, have you done like a decent amount of producing for other bands and stuff? Like, do you enjoy the producer role? Do you like kind of being in that side of it? Yeah. I mean, I love producing, but you know, production is a very strange thing to do <laughs> at this point. I basically produce things that I perform and write, you know, whereas back in the day, you know, in the nineties, there was a couple bucks to be made. I would do an indie record for somebody or a punk record, you know, and just just be the producer and kind of guide them on their songs and find them holes, fill the holes where they didn't have it. If they didn't have a good drummer, I knew a good drummer. If they didn't have a good bass player, I knew a good bass player and we'd figure things out. And, you know, I, I, I helped a lot of small, smaller bands make what I considered to be really cool records. But, you know, production, you're not really doing it unless you make a hit, you know, like that's sort of what producers do is make hits. And so, you know, uh, a- after a while, just kind of doing doing a band's record didn't really hold the same appeal for me, you know, and, and the budgets changed, you know, and stuff like that. So I sort of got to a point where if I'm going to produce it, then I want to know that it's going to be great, you know, and so I kind of have to write it and perform it and do it you know well that part i feel like it's kind of weird including from someone i mean obviously you're established with the dwarves and everything else you do where it's like to put that that energy and effort in someone else's music it's almost like i feel like that even in itself could be difficult because it's almost like like you can put that in your own you know what i mean it's not like you don't create your own music you're not doing that so it's like i don't know working on the other side yeah i mean it's all about to use a trendy word synergy right i mean (laughs) so 
I'm 56 years old. So there's a lot of people for whom anything I perform, they're not interested in just as a function of I'm 56 years old. So if you have a certain kind of song, it has to be performed by an 18-year-old cute person because a bunch of 18-year-old cute people are going to go consume that and that's what they want. They don't want to look at me do it, even if it was going to be just what they wanted to hear, you know, which it, which it wouldn't be anyway. But, you know, it, it's... Do you know what I'm saying? Like, the great thing about production is when you find the perfect artist with the perfect song and then you produce it in the perfect way and it just goes boom, you know, like this is this great thing. And I was always looking for that, but I never really found that with other other artists. You know, um, uh, I, ha I made some cool records, I think, with with other artists. But the way I like to work with other artists now is to put them on my record as opposed to saying, OK, this is your record and I'm at your service and I'm going to try and produce this for you. You know, because my experiences with that were were more uneven. You know, sometimes it'd be really fun and people would really understand what you were doing. But a lot of times, you know, artists are just nervous. You know, they don't know what to do. Even if they're very talented, they're they're They don't know what what to do, you know. And so they hear something new and they go, ah, that doesn't sound like me. <laughs> and it's like, well, but you told me you didn't like this, this on your last record. So I tried to make this, you know, it's different. It's like, oh, but it's not me anymore, you know. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you have these strange things that come up with with artists. But I mean, I, I'm not closed off to it. I would do it. It's just it, for the amount of time and energy I put into things. I, I like to have control over it and know how it's going to come out and what it's going to be, you know, but there are certain kinds of songs that you really have to do with, with other people and they have to be the artist, you know, I want to, I want to get into uh, recording with introducing Ralph champagne. I mean, was this uh, all recorded in like one studio? Was this all, I mean, I know we were talking like pandemic and everything. Like, was this? No, it was, uh, so the way it started, it was January of 2020. And I went in with Andy Carpenter and I think I recorded like 25 or more songs. Oh, and wow. They were songs from over the gamut of my career. Some of them were pretty new and some of them were songs that have been kicking around, you know, since pretty early in the dwarves thing. Like there were old old songs that I had made that in my mind were just kind of like, okay, this is a simple song. I play it on an acoustic guitar. This is how it goes. And then I started thinking about them more like just vocal parts. Like what if I just sang this vocal, but it wasn't just me playing a guitar, but it was something else. And so I sang all these songs just to try and figure out what's the tempo of this song. What's the key of this song. And I did that with Andy Carpenter on, on a number of songs. And then it broke down like, hmm, there's this almost kind of countryish retro record here somewhere. When you carve away certain of those songs, you wind up with the sculpture of this record that remained, this introducing Ralph Champagne. And so as I started doing it, you know, and, and, and I said, OK, let's just get a perfect vocal on here. And the songs just got sung like over a guitar part. And, and it was just a guitar part and a click track and me. And then when I loved all the vocals, I said, OK, now let's make a record. We had just a click track and a vocal. So then you go to Josh Freeze at his place and and he's, you know, such a good player that he kind of starts to interpret this, even with no bass and no other guitar except mine. You know, he figures out where the song is and what it's supposed to be. In, in, you know, and so that's kind of part of the arrangement. So, again, that's where the lucky shit comes in, where it's just like, oh, 
if I didn't have him at that point, I wouldn't have known that this was kind of Latin feeling or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. So then, then these guys start to define what the record is. So then Tom Ayers comes in and, you know, fortunately he came down and listened to Josh play over the songs. So while he's learning the songs and just learning what the progression is, he's also listening to Josh play and he's getting turned on like, Oh, I can't wait to do something on that. So then after a day of Josh, you get a couple days of Tom and he kind of figures out what the bass is and what the acoustic guitar is. So now I've got the rhythm section of the record and I know what that is. And there's a solid thing of chords that actually makes sense, not kind of my fucked up version of <laughs> what a guitar is, you know? So at that point, I mean, in terms of other musicians, we were only three days in. Wow. But yet there was all these the like now I had a rhythm section and I realized like what to do. And it was like, oh shit. Okay. So then you got to get into people that I don't necessarily know as well, violin players or steel pedal steel players. I don't know any pedal steel players. So then I start making phone calls, people I respect, and going, Hey, you know, you had a good pedal steel player on this, you know, could you could you point me towards somebody, you know, and, and people are cool if they know you, you know, they'll point you towards somebody who's good, you know, and then I start talking to those guys and, and then they're kind of curious. Cause it's like, wait, you're from the dwarves. And I'm like, yeah, but this is different, you know, just listen to this. And then I play them that and they're like, well, this song is pretty cool. And I know I kind of know who you are. So, okay. You know, and then they come in and then I get a whole new take and then you just have to kind of work with it. And it was, a, it was an odd way to make a record, but it was during the pandemic. There wasn't any other way to do it. So some of it wasn't even guys live in the studio that I could respond to. It was like guys sending me emails, you know, and that gets really confusing because then it'll be like, ooh, I like the direction you're going in on that, but we need X, Y, and Z. So then you have to go back and forth again, and again, and, and, you know, people get frustrated and it, it's, you know, we're not used to doing shit over email. We're used to doing live in the studio, you know? So it, it, it's hard to, to get your timing and get where you're going. But if you start with the kind of cake that I had, which is a great vocal, great drums and great bass, all of these other musicians are going, okay, you know, then it's like your pride is on call. Like, well, I can already hear that this is great. I better do something great on this, you know. You got to step so, up. Yeah, yeah. And so slowly but surely, I wound up with this amazing sounding record that sounds like just a bunch of mellow guys in a room that were just <laughs> going for it, having fun. You know, it's like, that wasn't what happened. Was there, I mean, like, again, I mean, obviously you recorded that way out of out of circumstance. I mean, could you, I guess, could you ever see yourself making an album in that way again, almost starting with just the the vocal melodies yeah. and all that. Could you do that again for, for this character? I wouldn't do it any other way now. That's this, cool. This seems much simpler because the vocal is the essence of it for me because I'm the singer and a lyricist and come up with vocal melodies. So you know, to have that first is is the dream. You know, I don't think I could do it with a dwarf record because. With the dwarves, you, it go, it's going so fast. You got guys going 250, 300 beats a minute. And so, you know, there's no way to kind of ease into that. You know, <laughs> like you're either, you know, you got to be on that shit. No, that, that, that so, I could definitely see why, yeah, they may not, that may not work in, in every setting. But I mean, even, even with that, it sounds like things clicked like very fast 
But before you like really were conveying this stuff to the other guys and getting it out, were you ever weary of doing it this way? Because like it came out amazing, but I also feel yeah. like if you didn't have the right musicians or something, this could have been a disaster to, to make a record this way. Yeah. I mean, that's where having a great partner, Andy Carpenter, he's just a super talented guy. He plays every instrument. Plus he can sing and write. He's, there's just nothing that he can't do, you know? So for someone like me, I'm good at sort of coming up with concepts and then I need other people to help me execute them. I mean, it's the same way Forbes, you know, it's not like sometimes people think that I've sort of do everything in the dwarves, but it's actually the opposite of that. Like I have all these guys who know how to play those instruments and make it sound like the dwarves. And so then I go off that, you know, or, 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 and they all write songs too. And they know how to write lyrics that sound like me. So it, it's, it winds up this like posse. It's a whole collective of people making something interesting. Uh, you can only get that over a period of years, you know, once you've been doing it with people for a long time and you have to kind of know how to play to their strengths, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, it's just been very gratifying. We did the same thing with the doors. We got uh, 25 basic tracks in two days. Holy and shit. And I was with, you know, Josh Fries and, and Nick Oliveri as the rhythm section. And, you know, Fresh Prince of Darkness, Snoopock, my new drummer, and, and a bunch of people. And, we, you know, you wind up just everybody doing what they're good at. And you make this great shit really quickly. And then I start massaging it and playing with it and turning it into a record, you know, but the, the essence of it is just, bam, here's a band. Everybody was playing together. Everybody was in the room. This sounds great. And Ralph Champagne was just the opposite of that. You know, it was just sort of building a, a, a studio track out of nothing. Well, it's like you said, too, I mean, the dwarves, I mean, like, you you can't get that overnight where, like, someone can know, like, your voicing and stuff like that and write, you know, write in your style. That 100% seems like it comes from years and years of doing it and working with one another and stuff. Like, you can't just pull some guy off the street and go, well, obviously you can, like, write like the dwarves now. You know, you can't do it. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, it would be impossible to write like that. But even trying to play like that is very difficult. I, I bring in guys who I think are good and they think they're good, but it's harder to play dwarves music. It, it's so fast and yet it's supposed to rock. It's not fast and hard in the sense of like a, a very precise speed metal band that's supposed to be fast and hard. It's still supposed to rock and feel comfortable and good, but at 300 beats a minute going, da, 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 you know, it's so hard to find the air in that music and, and what makes it rock. Yeah, it would be would be very hard to explain to somebody who tries to come in and do it. Yeah, just come in and do this like nothing. Here you go. Like, you can just jump in. Yeah, definitely it doesn't work that way. I did want to ask, too, I mean, you, you've done so much with Josh Freeze. Like, where does that begin? Do you remember the first thing you ever worked with Josh on, which you guys did, did together the first time? Yeah, I mean, the first actual recordings we did was around 2003, 2004 for the record uh, The Dwarves Must Die where I knew I had this vision. That was a time when I really had a vision of a very sprawling, big record that involved a lot of different things. And uh, part of it was Josh and and brought him in, and he had a song. You know, that's always the famous thing, right? Like the drummer has a song, <laughs> oh, you know? 
But when it's Josh, you know, so we, so I got to write my first song with him, which was "Fuck the Bitch and Go." <laughs> he had the instrumental, and then I came up with that. And he was laughing, and we're, you know, now um, we always there's always some kind of Josh song on every Dwarves record, and you know, I'm just thrilled to have him around, and he he just throws throws things out, and we, you know, we make great shit happen. But at the same time, it's also about kind of the hardcore side of the Dwarves, you know where Snoopock and uh, Hunter Down, both great young guys who were drummers, came in. And that's neat, too, because you don't have that more session-controlled guy that of Josh that can kind of do it, everything. You have these guys that are hungry and young, and they're playing, too. You know, so just all kinds of interesting things happen when you put good people together, you know? I like hearing I like hearing the like background like the process of that. That's always interesting to like figure out kind of how a band tends to like you know write their stuff or you know if there is even a way. Sometimes it changes up all the time. You know the the way you write a album or a song. I did I did want to ask I I like pe- I like asking people this. So going back to the the introducing Ralph Champagne record. You know I mean b- besides obviously your first time like recording that way and I'm sure there are challenges that came up. But in the actual recording session, like when it's being laid down, was there any song that for whatever reason became a pain in the ass to get down? For what I just you couldn't you had to do a couple takes for just I don't know, maybe maybe oh, that yeah. guitar. I mean, and some of them it's over a period of years. Like um uh the song uh, we have a song called uh, Wanna Die. And I wrote it a long time ago. And I always knew that it was a funny little clever song about I, I want to die. I've written a lot of songs about wanting to die. I wish that I was dead, various things. Right? But, you know, I knew that this was kind of a funny, catchy song. And I had, but every time we tried to do it as a band, it was just terrible. I, I could never get it to sound like anything. And even on this last record, you know, we had so many songs. We were doing great. And I said, OK, let's try want to die. And we started playing it and it sucked. And I was just like, okay, wait a minute. Let's just slow this thing down. Let's just go, you know, 40 beats a minute slower than we're doing right now and just try and find something different in this song. So we did that. And I think that the drum part was right. And ultimately I was able to put a decent vocal on it, but the music still wasn't right. So then I sent it, even though it's a dwarf song, to Tom, who I'd done this Ralph Champagne record with and I said you make something out of this with this guitar and these kind of lyrics and then he started making something interesting out of it so then I went back and added the guitar player from the dwarves to that because he sort of heard a weird guitar solo and said okay now I think I know what to do with this so yeah it was strange that was a song that literally has been bedeviling me across (laughs) four records and like 15 years I, where I know that there's a song there somewhere and I know it's okay. And I, I just don't know what to do with it. You know, I mean, kind of going off that too, like, can you tend to tell pretty fast if a song is worth continue like, like that, like, can you also go, you know, I don't, I don't know. You like start writing a song and pretty fast you can go, okay, this isn't worth my time to keep working on. And then the ones where I go, well, maybe there's something redeeming here. Like, could, is that something you can normally tell pretty fast? Yeah, see, it's complicated because I used to write whole records on guitar. You know, I wrote the chord changes, I did whatever. And and the older I got, 
the more I found myself repeating myself and I knew that I wasn't going to become some kind of instrumentalist guy. So I, so I became more interested in other people's instrumentals and then making vocal melodies and lyrics on top of that. So my process kind of changed. I, I still write stuff on guitar sometimes, but in very random ways, you know? So I think there were a lot of songs that I eliminated when I was playing guitar a lot and saying, Oh shit, I've already done that. But really, if I would have just stuck with a vocal melody, there probably was something there. I just needed somebody better than me to make a different chord progression with her and make something, a different kind of arrangement, you know? So now I'm more, you know, tune into whatever that instrumental is and, and try and make sure my part is, is good and interesting, you know? So I don't throw stuff away as much. And the other thing is like, people who are very prolific and very musical, they just come up with stuff every day. And then so they throw more stuff away than me. You're not someone like, like every day just pop it, you know, a thousand things you know, pop out. I'm more of a soul surfer. I'm not I'm not just out like I only come up with a song when I have a song. But I know a lot of people who are like music people and they come up with a fucking five songs a day. That's a <laughs> smart move, you know. That's how you should. No, people I, I, who are songwriters and they're just like gotta have lots of material everybody wants something new nobody wants to hear your old thing you know and i would tell like a good producer about this song and they'd be like you'd be kicking that around for seven years dude why don't you just give up on that one and it's like because <laughs> i don't have enough ideas to give up on things and i know this is good i just have to figure out what what to do with it whereas like people who are more uh productive and on it they don't do that usually you know they're more like oh yeah we kissed that away on that session. We didn't need it. We got this and we did this. Nothing know? sacred. They just, whatever. I'll write, yeah. I'll write five more tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And that isn't me, you know, and, and I feel like that's because I'm a lyricist more than anything. And when you come up with a great lyric, you know, this is good. And the people are going to like this. And this is interesting. Or, or this really sums up this kind of piece of music. You know, you hear something with a breezy feel and I came up with nothing to say. You know, that was a song that was written as a rock and roll song. Tried to do it with the band and it was never any good. You know, then when it was like a yacht rock studio production song, it all made sense. You I, know, so it actually was a good song, but it sucked as a band song. And it was like, ah, oh, we don't want to do that one. It isn't any good. Like, no, it actually turned out to be really good just in a different context. That is, I, I think that's so interesting that, yeah, like how one song can go from it just, we can't for whatever reason make this work to then it can be like amazing. It could be like, oh my God, like this song, like, thank God you never got rid of this. Like, like it's a good thing you held on to that. And I'm sure that's also, that has to be musically gratifying to go, you've been kicking this idea around forever and for whatever reason it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden you go, oh shit, this works. All of a sudden, this is yeah, good. And, yes, and and also just I'm in my mid fifties to make a record like this now. That's a whole artistic leap for me. That's different, and it isn't just the standard like, well, now I mellowed out and I did something mellow. I think like, no, this is a completely different kind of a record, completely differently made record, and that's just super gratifying, you know. And you 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 get there by having material and kind of knowing how to rec recognize what to do with it. Do you, uh, can, can you see it all? I mean, it sounds like you had a great group of musicians on the Ralph Champagne record. Could you see this playing, even if it's not tours per se, could you see doing live shows for this at all? Would you, you want to oh, do I would some? I love to do it live. I mean, I could absolutely see doing it. Yes. I, I just haven't, don't, 
you know, it's so hard to put a band together. And especially with uh, this particular record worth of guys, you know, you got some guys that are like, you know, Josh Friesen probably guys that you couldn't even get on the phone. And then you got guys that are like, I'm busy, dude. I got a real gig. I can't fuck with you. You know? So, I mean, there's just so many different kinds of guys made this record what it is. And they're all little prickly idiosyncratic people in their own way, just like I am. And they got their shit they want to do, you know? I'd love I to mean, hear these songs live. You know, records are interesting because they kind of touch you at a particular point in time. Um, and a lot of people that work on them aren't really thinking about it again. It's like, ah, I played some great parts for that guy. And then tomorrow I'll play some great parts for somebody else and whatever, you know, but I'm sitting there obsessing on it. Like, Oh wow. You know, it, this was a whole new thing. It just always puts you in a new place vis-a-vis doing it. Whereas when you have a band, know people and their personalities and it's like well this guy doesn't like to be woken up in the morning and this guy you know this guy you know doesn't like you to tell him what to play and this guy really likes a lot of direction and this guy you know everybody's different that's why bands are so fucked up and crazy you know (laughs) i can bring everybody together on my object everybody gets along fine and everything's great but when you have a band and you start going doing things that's a whole different world, you know. That's just a world of insane fucking people and their insane shit. Well, I, I hope one day to uh, to hear these songs live because I would love to uh, see these translated um, tr- translated live. But I, I'm, I also want to talk, I mean, again, like I was saying, how damn busy you are. You do have a brand new book called uh, Highland Falls. I mean, you want to you tell us a little bit about the new book? Yeah. So Highland Falls is a follow-up to my last book, which came out, I think, in 2008, maybe 2009. It was called Nina. And it was basically the story of a very oversexed kind of uh, prankster-ish teenage girl. And, uh, you know, she kind of runs roughshod over the people in her life and has a good time and runs around. And so then this book, Highland Falls, was sort of the follow-up to that. Highland Falls is her kind of suburban Illinois town that she lives in. And so it introduces some other characters from there, you know, some, uh, uh, makes it's a little more novel-like. Nice. I, I also, it, it looked really neat. I mean, on, on top of the book coming out, you also have the audio book I see uh, available on vinyl. Did you, I assuming, did you narrate that as well? So that was weird. Yeah. So that was another thing I did over the pandemic. Again, like I was sitting there like, okay, well, I wrote this fucking book. So I might as well do the audio book because, you know, I'm here at my fucking house and there's a microphone, you know. Makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I did the audio book, which is a lot more work than you're expecting when you, <laughs> you go to do it. And, uh, and so I gave the audio book to the publishers rare bird and rare bird puts out a lot of like music books and uh uh and when whereas my book is just fiction um so i was really glad they did that because i thought it was the right home for it around like music people but it's not a music book it's a, more of a dirty dirty book a lot of humor and and that type of thing so uh um so what happened with that was uh, 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 Tyson, the guy at Rare Bird, took the first few chapters and then had somebody put some kind of synthesizer music behind it. I, I wasn't really part of the music thing. And then he sent it to me and said, what do you think about this? And I thought it was really neat. So he did vinyl, this limited vinyl of it. 
Um, and it's kind of that weird kind of mind hunter, like synth music, you know, that I, I wouldn't have come up with that, but it's a cool way to accompany the, the, the thing. So I, I, I thought it was very interesting that he came up with that. Yeah. You don't see many audiobooks, and that it's kind of a different twist on a, uh, traditional, just, you know, the narr you know, guy who wrote the books, narrating it in audiobook form. Like this is kind of a nice little added layer to it. Yeah. That's what I thought. I was stoked that he did it and vinyl's always more fun than, you know, just digital things. So there's that, you know, you get an artifact and, you know, there's a great cover too. And they reprinted the whole nice, uh, uh, there's an Italian artist, Zoe Lachey, very good, uh, uh, illustrator. And she did the illustration of Nina, that character for Highland Falls. And so we use that on the gatefold of the record. So it's neat. You know, there's a lot of cool art and it's kind of more feminine because Zoe has that uh, this very bold, great style, but it's decidedly feminine too, you know. And I thought that would be a cool way to do the book, you know, and make give you the sense that it was a female character, you know. Was this your uh, was this your first time doing an audiobook? Have you ever narrated an audiobook in the past? No, I had never done one before. Although I went back, Rare Bird is going to reprint Nina as well oh, nice. as my very first book. I wrote a book in the nineties, uh, which was very just experimental kind of word salad called Arm to the Teeth with Lipstick. And that one is very much it's like a weird kind of detective novel, science fiction, a lot of violence, sex, blah blah. And and uh um, that was illustrated by Mad Mark Rude, who was a great uh, punk rock artist of the, uh, you know, he did like the Earth AD for for the Misfits and did, you know, he's kind of a guy like Pusshead or somebody like that. Oh, yeah. Detailed drawings of, you know, and a lot of death metal, speed metal, rock and roll kind of kind of stuff. And so I did a, that illustrated book with him back then. Uh, and that, too, is coming out. So I went back and made audio books for all of those. Oh shit! Okay, so you've now you've now uh, went from doing no audiobooks to now you've done a few. Yeah, I did three. Wow. Yeah, yeah. and those those should be coming out as the books get republished. So yeah, very excited. I mean, just tons of stuff. I did a lot of stuff. I mean, I think you know a lot of people kind of the 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 pandemic threw them off, but I'm more of a self starter. So I was able to get all this material going and really generate a lot of stuff and make it quality. And then I lost my shit <laughs> after, <laughs> after a year, year and a half of working super hard, be like, okay, everybody else is freaking out. I got this. You know? <laughs> then it was like, oh shit, <laughs> the world's collapsed. <laughs> but, but I had all this work done, fortunately. So now it's all coming out as I come to grips with the end of the world. <laughs> but you got some audio books out of it, end of the world. But Hey, I got, I got some stuff going on. I got some stuff going right. on. You know, I mean, it's kind of interesting too thinking about it like I mean, for you writing a book, sitting down and writing a book versus like sitting down and writing lyrics. I mean, how I assume they're different, but how drastically different? Are you in a different headspace or mindset to write one or the other or is it all kind of just creatively writing? You know what I mean? Like like the differences there. Explain it a little bit. You know, a lot of the songs I write are for me to sing. And so they're for a particular character. And that really influences what types of things I can get away with saying or not get away with saying. As Blag, you know, it's got to be funny and to the point, And it's got to be sort of scatological, dirty. It, it, it's, it's, you know, that's who that guy is. 
and then when you then go and try and write a song for somebody else you know which i've done some of you know you have to put yourself in their headspace and it's different you know um and and uh when you get to a book it's even more like that you have to put yourself into your character's headspace and there's multiple characters so writing like a female that was part of why i took that on because i've heard a lot about how sexist or misogynist my work is and i never considered it that way so i thought well okay if i'm going to write maybe i'll write from a female perspective and you'll see that this is more of like misanthropy not not misogyny and this is more about sort of having a nihilistic view of everything as opposed to just of women you know so it, it it's uh um yeah writing the book is is different you know for the when when i do music i very much it's an id process it's very much just whatever i feel like saying <laughs> so it is coming from a straight white man who's angry and screaming a lot <laughs> you know whereas if i'm writing a book or i'm writing a song somebody else i have to put myself into where they're coming from and where they're you know so it's it's much different that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering. I, I didn't think they'd be totally the same, but that's kind of fun, though, too. There's almost a freedom then in writing the book or just writing for someone else because, I mean, again, it's it, like you were saying. I mean, it's, I guess, a chance to take a break from writing in your voice or the style that, you know, people would expect from you and kind of doing something different. Right. Yeah, it's the same way you'd read something different than what you write or listen to something different than what you play. I've always loved a lot of music that's really not similar to what I would do you know, it's their way of communicating who they are. You know, in a book, you've got more latitude. You know, I don't have to be myself. I have to be a bunch of other people, you know. Uh, in, in rock and roll and in music in general, we put a lot of value on being yourself and being real, you know. So that's sort of one side of it. But there's other sides of it, too. You know, the people who support the other people being real. The people who actually know how to play the instruments or actually know what notes they're doing or actually know what key something should be in or whatever. You, uh, if I, if I'm not mistaken too, it looks like you're doing some, uh, like maybe book signings and book readings. Are you doing a, are you doing a couple things for Highland Falls? Yeah. So there's going to be in, uh, in Los Angeles at the last bookstore, we're doing one, uh, rare bird put out my book. They also put out, leftover cracks oral history oh nice so we're combining and we're gonna do me uh, brad logan is an old friend of mine and he's going to you know play some leftover crack stuff we're going to talk about that book and then we're going to you know talk about my book and i'll play a little and just be a little event uh um you know it's a book thing so it's free it's on a monday night you know everybody should go out if you're in la i mean it'll be an, an interesting thing and then in san francisco a couple days later same kind of thing on a on a wednesday up by city lights books there uh we're gonna do a similar kind of event a little bit of music a band called you cunt that's very interesting uh you know and some reading from from the books and you know i try and keep it light and fun i'm not trying to get anybody you know uh uh dig them to pull them too deep into my literary orbit you know it's fairly light stuff you know but it's uh, there's a lot of there, there, there's some meat there if you're looking for it but it's also <laughs> nice and superficial if you just want to hear some funny stuff and move on with it you know nice nice well i mean just just a few more for you here i'll let you go i do have to ask well yesterday it literally i don't know it was like yeah it was sometime th this time yesterday 
as I was probably, I should have been writing interview questions. I found myself reading a uh, article that uh, Butch Vig talking about like his favorite, uh, like pieces of instruments at smart studios. And he's talking about a sure SM seven B and it's, and one of his quips was that the first band to ever use it was the dwarves and that you burned a hole in the pop filter and after reading that, I got to know, is there a story behind that? Do you recall burning a hole in the pop filter? Like, is, is there you know, any the more? Story, the story for me is that we were so naive that they said, hey, guys, we're sending you out to Butch Vig's studio to make your record. And I thought, great, we're going to get to work with Butch Vig. But I never met the guy. You know, we it was, uh, you know, we got his friend or something. I, you know, it was like. Yeah, we're in his studio. Where's he? You know, I mean, it was just so typical of us that, you know, nobody was really, the lights were on, but nobody was home, you know, and we, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing, you know. Um, so, yeah, I wish I would have gotten to meet Butch. That would have been nice. I wish I would have gotten to make a record with him. That would have been nice, you know. If I if I if I left my joint in his in his SM7, that's that tough fucking shit. <laughs> I mean, he obviously remembers you. You may not have recorded with him, but it's the last thing in the in the article about that that you know, SM7B, yeah, that, dude. That's what it's like. You know, the doors were very legendary, but we were ignored. You know, I wish more people would have taken us more seriously. To Butch Vig, all we are is somebody that burned a hole in something. Whereas to me, we were an actual band that was pretty interesting. You know? Yeah, it, it, it. You know, I mean, I'd rather have the story than nothing. That that's you know, true. That's a true. A lot of people got a story about like seeing my dick or hearing me scream fuck or whatever, but they didn't bother listening to anything that I did. You know, so, okay, fair enough. You know, at least you got some of the rock and roll of it. You know, they got they got something out of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, kind of kind of with dwarves too. I mean, any anything else that you can uh talk about dwarves wise you guys working on anything or anything coming up in the near future we, we got should... a whole double album recorded oh hell yeah yeah it was uh huge i mean we hadn't been in the studio tracking since like 2016 oh wow we went in in february and we just had an avalanche of songs and it was me and fresh prince of darkness rex everything nick oliveri you know snoopock uh uh josh freeze just a bunch of great players and a bunch of cool people. And we just made a bunch of sick songs. So yeah, there's a bunch of stuff recorded. It just needs to be mixed now. Nice. So, so yeah, the near future, more, more music from you then. Can't stop. Won't stop, man. We just keep crushing it. You know, is uh, like touring, you assume 2023, can we assume some dwarves touring probably? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think we're doing, uh, I think we're doing New Year's Eve with Zeke up north there in uh, Portland and Seattle. So that'll be oh, nice. a very vintage 90s event for people who are into that. Uh, and supposed to, supposed to play a little bit down south, TSOL. So we'll see if that stuff happens in, in Orange County and, uh, and L.A. So, you know, just, you know, as long as I'm playing with a good band, I'm happy. You know, if I get to be out there with Zeke, PSOL or whoever, whoever wants to play with me, I'm, I'm stoked. You know, there's, there's a bunch of good bands out there. You know, we, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but are there any dwarf songs off top of your head you think would translate really well into a Ralph Champagne style song and then vice versa? Are there any Ralph Champagne songs where you go, yeah, damn, that yeah, might sound cool. There's a few that, that should have been, you know, um, 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good good question. I mean, the only the thing for me, the dividing line is kind of lyrically. You know, it's because some of the Ralph Champagne stuff is like body and dirty in that sense but it's more like good natured and fun you know the doors are very like in your face nasty <laughs> you know so so some of it doesn't work lyrically but some of it does like a song like better be women just like it's sexual in theme but it's funny and kind of lighthearted, um you know or 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 you know uh um songs like lucky tonight is kind of funny you know like they're the they, ones Ones that were a little lighter lyrically, you know, the doors sometimes were very, very heavy on you lyrically. You know? <laughs> so yes, that's true. That stuff doesn't translate as well to, to Ralph Champagne, but the stuff that's lighter and more fun, you know, even things like Everybody's Girl or One Time Only, you know, the, the sort of lighter, funnier stuff. Or, you know. Well, I one, one more for you, then I'll let you go. And I, I just have to ask this because I only realized this, I guess, the last couple years, but as a 29-year-old, I never thought of it, but my my exposure to you long before the dwarves was uh, SpongeBob. I mean, you you doing doing the sponge. I mean, I I got to ask, how did that come about? How did you get involved? Did you write the song like because I never thought of it. I mean, I've been listening to Dwarves for a long time, but now we're going back to like that was like age 6 Anthony was yeah, listening dude, to Black. Sponge is probably the most well-known thing that I'll ever do, which is a sobering <laughs> thought, you know. Um yeah, so that came about through my good friend Saul Peter, who was the original bass player and sort of helped me start the Dwarves. He was friendly with um, the guy who did SpongeBob, and it was their first season. It had never come up yet. Uh, he knew him just through like day job stuff or something. He didn't know him like as pro professionally. And SpongeBob was very low budget. It didn't have any, you know, no nobody knew that it was going to be a big hit. And so he said to my friend, hey, you know, you take little tracks on a four track. Like, can you do something? I just want something kind of trashy sounding, kind of sounds like the ground. And so he came up with that dance, do, do the sponge, you know. Um, and, uh, and so Salt Peter from the Dwarves wrote that and also wrote a lot of the SpongeBob stuff. And anyway, you know, they, they didn't feel comfortable approaching Lux Interior for no money, you know, but they were fine hit me up. <laughs> It was the first season, and they were like, can you just imitate Lux and Pure? I said, that's what I've been doing all, all along. <laughs> so I came in and imitated Lux and sang Salt Peter's song, and it was on the first season. By the end of that season, they were a huge established hit. Everybody loved them. And, you know, Pete wanted to write a bunch of songs for them. I never got to sing on there again. It would have been nice, so, but uh, I guess they wanted different stuff. They got Lux the next season and did a song called Underwater Sun. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, uh, they, yeah, that, but that's my, my claim to fame. <laughs> it, it's just a wild, I, I often forget that, but I go, yeah, I guess I've been listening to you even longer than I, uh, than I realized, but, uh, yeah, that's why it's always fun to do little things and see, you never know what's going to take off. You know? I was going to say, yeah, I'm sure when you, when you did that, like you were saying, it's first season, you're like, this is going to go away. This isn't something I'll be talking right. about 20 years later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, I mean, Blag, it, it has been so much fun and honor talking to you. As we close out, I mean, where do we find the new Ralph Champagne record? Where do we get Highland Falls? Where do we find you online? Like, all that good stuff. You know, man, I got Instagram. We got the Dwarves Instagram and, and all that stuff. But the best place to go for Dwarf stuff, yeah, is just thedwarves.com. 
because when you hit the merch thing, um, we sell like the book signed and the and the you know the records signed, all the vinyls signed. So you kind of get a more specialized thing if you go to thedwarves.com. But you know, hopefully you can find it in stores too. You know, uh, MVD distributes our stuff, so it, it tends to get out to to stores. You know, the music and and uh, you know, but but uh, go see us live. You always got to see the dwarves live. Be reminded of a band that can still do it. Fuck yeah. And, uh, you know, but yeah, you know, check out the dwarves.com and whatever, wherever we are, check us out. Legends. <laughs> it will great. Man. It, it's, it's fun. If you are, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, we'll play you a song or two off introducing Ralph Champagne. If you're listening to the radio show, we have a four hour radio show. So we'll play that damn record front to back. You'll, you will oh, hear man. all of honored. Yeah. It's like an old seventies record that really holds up throughout. You can go all the way. And then just when you get to the end. There's a special surprise that you're not expecting at all <laughs> as the last track. So, yeah, there's all, all kinds of stuff on the Introducing Ralph Champagne record. Well, depending what you're listening, you're shit out of luck if you're listening to the podcast. You get a song or two, but radio right. show, you get to hear the whole record. You're, you're going to hear everything we've been talking you know, about. You can go up on YouTube, listen to the whole thing. You, you got to check out the Lolita Goodbye video. Very funny video. <laughs> it is. Friends from L.A. made made for us. And, uh, yeah, beautiful women and hilarious uh, sets, and it's, it's a great video. Awesome. Well, here we go. We got a song for you right now. The opening track off Introducing Ralph Champagne. This is It's Over right here on the Power Chord Hour. Well, I let the other woman carry me away. Now she's gone forever and I've passed away. I'm still pretending that I feel okay, but it's over. It's an elementary love song 
just an elementary love song So if I call you late at night just to see if you're at home Or ask you where you've been even though I'm all alone It's just an elementary love song an elementary love song podcast off black dahlia's new album introducing ralph champagne there he was with elementary love song and opening up that block of music was the opener off the new album introducing ralph champagne that was it's over i want to thank blag again i mean such a fun time talking to him i uh i saw he was releasing that album while i was out on my trip for alaska and while i was trying to think of uh, people to have on when i was getting back i was like oh i gotta have him on i was i got a, a promo of that album and got to listen to it a decent amount while I was uh, traveling and everything. And I was like, oh, yeah, we definitely got to have him in, you know, for sure. And, uh, and definitely listen to some Dwarves as well out while I was out there. Listen to uh, the song Salt Lake City a good amount while I was driving through Utah. Just a classic. But uh, they're one of those great bands. I mean, you know, they definitely can uh, be written off at times just, you know, for the lyrics and the uh, the aesthetic or the the visuals of the band, if you will. I mean, I don't think I'm talking out of line here. I think if you know the dwarves, you kind of know what goes with them. But at the end of the day, I mean, my God, like they, including Blag, it's like, you know, 
the those vocal melodies and stuff the man has a knack for it you know i mean no matter what he's singing about or what he's saying like you can't deny the uh the knack for melody there and everything but uh also i mean the cleverness of that you know there's also a part of it that does take talent to be able to write something in such a great way but not take it so seriously and you know kind of have fun with the lyrics of the music and stuff and not take yourself as an artist so seriously you know there's trust me there's a lot of musicians who cannot do that there's a lot of great proficient musicians who can probably write a great melody but take themselves way way too seriously and their music way way too seriously and uh you know ends up holding them back but I love talking to him. Great getting into everything. I mean, there's so much you could talk about. I mean, there's there's still so much I didn't get to get to with him. But, I mean, between uh, Blag and Greg Graffin last week, definitely some uh, punk rock legends, which is very cool. I have a few more. Uh, I won't I won't say who because I don't have them confirmed 100%, but I am in the talks with a, uh, with a couple, like, legendary bands and artists and stuff to kind of close out the rest of the year here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. But, uh, yeah. I got I got a few more slots for guests, so I'm kind of filling that out, and then uh, I, I do have a few booked. And uh, next week, I do know who we have. We have Buffalo Band, The Eves, a, a great newer band. I want to say totally new, because a lot of times, like, like I'll discover a band. You know, they again, they are a newer band, but they've been around since like 2017, 2018. So I mean, that's four or five years. So I mean, not a. Uh, you know, they, they didn't just start yesterday. I mean, we're, we, we'll be talking about their uh, new sophomore record, but uh, excellent band from up the road in Buffalo. And uh, if you're not from here, I mean, you're listening to the podcast, there's a good chance you're not in Jamestown, New York right now. But uh, Buffalo's like 90 minutes from us. So I always consider it local or up the road. It depends who you talk to around here. But I mean, again, you can, I can, I can be in Buffalo in about 90 minutes. And if I speed, I can be there even faster. So like, I mean, they're, they're the county next to us. And, and that's only where I'm at. If you actually go to the end of Chautauqua County, it's like maybe a 40 minute drive to Buffalo from the end of uh, Chautauqua County to where, what uh, Erie County, I believe Buffalo is in. I, I don't know. This is, I mean, we're getting to boring shit territory, but what I'm saying is we live very close to Buffalo and I'm talking to a very rad band from Buffalo called the Eves next week and a really good band. The, uh, the new record is out now. So if you go look up the Eves, there is music to check out until we uh, talk to them. So get yourself, uh, get yourself a little educated on the Eves. They're a really good band. And uh, I, I will tell you after watching some live video, I definitely want to see them live. And again, up the road so i shall make that happen but we'll be talking to them next week and uh again kind of getting getting a few more around for uh december i mean my god i can't believe it i'll be doing the november rundown here in two weeks and i'm already thinking about uh the album of the year episode which will probably kick off next year i mean shit uh there's a lot to work on you know i guess going away for six weeks i came back to a lot to work on i, I never stop with this show but uh yeah Back next week with another one. Until then, follow the Power Chord Hour online. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Power Chord Hour. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps so much, I can't even tell you. If you'd like to donate to the show, help show costs, because this show definitely costs me money. It don't really make me money. It costs me money, but goddamn do I love it. But if you want to send a few bucks my way, in the uh, show description, there is a uh, there's a link for our PayPal and our Cash App pay you know i was gonna say pay me how about donate that's a better way to say it. don't pay me motherfucker no donate donate i won't i won't uh unless unless aggressive is is what you need then pay up motherfucker and uh you know send some money to the paypal or the cash app but if uh if if aggressive marketing isn't isn't your uh, thing if you can find it in your heart 
donate a couple bucks, definitely appreciate it. But uh, yeah, again, it, it depends depends how you want to take that. You can, uh, you know, if the if the aggression makes you uh, donate, sweet. If uh, if being sweet makes you donate well sweet to that as well but uh yeah i don't have much else to say just letting you know i had a fun time talking to blag and we'll be back next week with the eaves but until then for the power court hour i'm anthony merchant thank you so much for listening